welcome to Funny Business. It's an absolute belter of an episode today. I'm Rob. And I'm Locke. And on today's episode, we got Connor Archbold, co-founder, co-CEO of Tracksuit. It's been a long time coming, this one. Over a year in the making. But it was worth the wait because stories are unreal. A lot of progress has happened in the last year with Tracksuit. And we dig into a lot about brand, which is our favourite thing to talk about. Oh, we love talking about brand. So if you're interested, you're running a startup, you're working startups, and you're interested in all things brand, how to build anything that people care about, uh, this chat's for you. Hope you enjoy. See you soon. Connor, thank you so much for jumping on the Funny Business Podcast. We made it happen. We finally made it happen. For those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do? Hey, guys. I'm so stoked to be here. Um, Thanks for having me. I'm Connor, uh, founder, uh, co-founder, co-CEO of a company called Tracksuit. Um, home home office is New Zealand. That's where we're from. Uh, we've expanded into Aussie and and uh, UK and the US more recently. So um, exciting, exciting times. But um, yeah, that's who I am. That's where that's what I'm doing. Uh, yeah. Whereabouts in New Zealand did you grow up? Well, I'm I'm a bit of a. I grew up in the states. I moved to New Zealand when I was 11, uh, and then to to Auckland, which is a lovely lovely place. Um, so yeah, being here and have dotted back and forth. The twang, the American twang, is still quite strong, as you might hear sometimes. sometimes I was like, I I'm trying to in my head. I'm like, down. this is a, this is a Kiwi what, accent, but there's definitely that? a tinge of something else. There. And you deal with a bunch yeah. of Aussies and stuff too. It's a bit <laughs> like it's like global, you know, yeah, yeah. Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> yeah that's what they call me <laughs> behind my back obviously um but no <laughs> yeah so uh twang's still still alive and well because i've spent quite a bit of time in in the states um since starting my career so uh yeah a bit all over the show apologies if you can't understand me just let me know no i reckon very unique i think one of a kind you can't get better than that i think I for us we were talking about before this chat is like we've been so excited to chat to you i know we've been trying to get you on the pod now for a little while and uh, it's been so cool to watch from afar and see all the cool stuff that's happened for Tracksuit. But I'd love to rewind back a little bit and and get into a, a bit of your personal background. Growing up as a kid is is getting into the world of business and starting your own thing, something that you thought you'd do. I feel like I had that sort of mindset of like selling lemonade on the street corner, that sort of thing as a kid. Um, we moved around a lot uh, and I think – you know, it's something like 25 homes before I was 18 or something crazy like that, which um, maybe played a part in like, you know, being able to come up with ideas or think creatively on your feet, make friends easily. Uh, and so that was sort of spread across the US and New Zealand. Um, and when I landed here, maybe that played, like I started my career as a corporate lawyer, um, which is probably the most conservative thing you can do and opposite of startup And it's probably like me trying to regain a bit of control or something like that uh but then my natural instincts probably won out and i was so bored doing that that i sort of started thinking about cool ideas and started you know running with with those and uh and ended up running uh launching new zealand auckland's first accelerator program called lightning lab with some folks which was really cool and that was my first taste of of startup world um and i loved it like i learned so much the fast pace was great um, joined a company, we sort of launched into overseas markets and became CEO of that business. And I think, you know, through that process, I was able to bring in some of that that lawyered, considered, conservative thinking 
and matching that with like the high growth mentality. And, and so I love, I love the idea of like fine tuning business models and, and figuring out the right sort of growth channels and things like that. So yeah, uh, definitely a SaaS and business model nerd now. And I think that's a combination of those, like the natural startup mentality combined with that, like conservative lawyery kind of thinking and, and background. I was going to say corporate lawyer into the world of startups is not always the most common mix. You know what I mean? It could be like a bit of an oxymoron of people who like reading documents, reviewing paperwork and going down that path. Give me that dense book, please. What was it about the world of startups that like gave you that bug? Like once you started going like, oh, like this is for me, I'm going to, I'm going to spend way more time here. I had a, one of my best friends sort of got into the, you know, equity crowdfunding when it first launched. And I think I was watching that from the sidelines and just watching him and how much growth and learning he was doing in his career. Like, you know, I was still reviewing documents and three tiers below anyone who could make any decision that changed the business. And um, yeah, I think I just wanted to move a bit faster and learn a bit faster. Um, that was the real motivation for me. What about like the resilience to keep going and problem solve and like no, no, day in a row is ever the same is it so it's like that ability to take the hits or learn the lessons and keep moving forward is that something that you felt like that's natural for you or you had to learn it yeah probably I think if I was to describe my personality like grit comes in pretty near the top in terms of um, things that I like pride myself on Uh, and so yeah that resilience um, ability to keep going is definitely something that I, I like um, having and leaning into. Uh, so yeah, that, that plays a part. Um, but I think that's, that's relatively helpful anywhere. Um, but yeah, in startups, you definitely need it when you go to dig deep, you guys would know as well. What about kicking off tracksuit? Where did the idea or the concept come from? Like, it was, a, yeah, give like... us a story. Yeah. The cool, the, the, I guess I'd been in New York for five years I'd seen this like rise of consumer businesses where um, the, I don't know if you know Warby Parker or, or, you know, Allbirds is another example, Casper Mattress, where they, this D2C movement of modern brands, they're incredible brands. They're such cool companies. They grow really, really quickly. And then that growth gets really difficult once they reach a certain size. Um, I'd been fascinated by that, but I didn't, I didn't know why it was just like a, it was a problem that I, that I'd seen Um, and when COVID hit, my first daughter was on the way, my wife and I moved back to New Zealand from New York and we, um, ended up working alongside, uh, James Herman from previously unavailable and and the folks at TRA, which is a market research agency. And we just like, we're talking about different ideas, but that problem kept coming up and we hypothesized that there was a solution that, you know, these brands probably paid way too much attention to acquisition and conversion marketing and not enough to their brand and building awareness. Um, And there were so many tools out there to optimize like Google and Facebook spend and that conversion side, but there were no tools to measure like awareness and consideration and brand sentiment. Um, And so we saw a bit of a gap there. I mean, there, there are, there's like big market research tools, which are awesome. And, you know, you can go to Kantar, Qualtrics, Ipsos, pay 150 grand and you get a really great, you know, measure of your brand, uh, but it's so expensive and pretty um, 
unachievable for growth companies. So we saw this little like mid-market gap opportunity. And um, I think the thing that, you know, Matt and I did that we talk about is like, we weren't, we had this scar tissue from earlier startups we'd been in um, that we kind of call VC validation there. You can, you can raise money from, um, from VCs based on a really nice deck and, then you build the thing that your deck said, but it's not actually what customers are asking for. So we were just obsessed with getting customer validation before raising any money. And so we went, we we had this idea, this hypothesis, we built a little uh, mock-up in a, in a five page slide pack. And we wrote down a hundred brands that we thought we could talk to. And by the 68th one, uh, 11 of them had paid like an upfront SaaS contract for this product that didn't exist. And so we were like, whoa okay let's go build that it seems like there's something there so we built this product um, with the help of uh previously unavailable and tra got this mvp into market and then it just kept going um and so we kept bringing on great brands and and kept building basically what they were asking for and we credit a lot of you know the product's success and stickiness to that to the fact that we were actually able to bring customers on that journey alongside us and and you know it's not necessarily what we thought exactly was going to work and it kept changing and iterating alongside what was being asked for um which was which was really nice one of the, uh if i go back a little bit on one of the things you said at the start which i one of the reasons that Locke and i are so excited to chat to you is like i feel like there's a bunch of misconceptions around the difference between like brand and performance marketing or customer acquisition or like for even for us explaining um, over the periods of time from doing the pod and different things that we're doing is like, it feels like there's a lot of people that just want to really maybe like dollars and cents and track the ROI of, Hey, it's an easier thing to, if you work inside a company, maybe to get ticked off, if they can say, Hey, I've spent X amount on Facebook ads. I know that it's going to give us X amount of sales or whatever, but would love to get into a little bit of your thoughts on the difference between like brand and, and traditional marketing. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why people got there first off was it, it was a great way to build a business for a while. You could put, you know, it was like a slot machine. You put a dollar in, you got $3 back and you could build a billion dollar business that way. So it was, it's quite reasonable for marketers to have gotten there and for business leaders to have decided that that was a good thing to invest in. Um, it just, you know, it's, I don't know if you've ever heard someone call it the cookie apocalypse. Like since it's gotten harder for people to, track and you know privacy is increased which is all a good thing but it, you know now you put a dollar into the slot machine and quite often you get like 85 cents back and that's that's a really difficult model to sustain so um i think you know if you if you chat to like tim from uke like you know it's if you think about marketing as like a full funnel exercise that includes investing in brand and that includes the top of funnel and building awareness and consideration it also includes you know really great marketing at the bottom of funnel and converting that consideration through to revenue um the 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 where tracksuit plays is that you know people had forgotten about the top of funnel for a long time and and in order to invest in something you know people are addicted to metrics like you say you want to be able to prove roi so if you're gonna invest in building awareness and you know an obvious way to do that might be through billboards or tv campaigns which are not necessarily clickable things and you can't Drive, you know, derive attribution directly from them very easily. So, in order to, if you're a marketer and you want to help your boss understand why you're investing in those sorts of channels, 
you can say, hey, we're tracking awareness and, and we want to know how that's growing in line with these investments. Um, and so I guess we give, you know, we give people the ability to to invest in those channels and invest in, in awareness building and full funnel marketing. Um, and yeah, that's that's where we come in. So we're sort of that that source of truth for um, how you're growing and, and what you're doing at the top of funnel. But on a base level, for people who are listening in, I know we're sort of 20 minutes into the chat, but can you explain like in the nuts and bolts of like what actually Tracksuit does? Totally. Sorry. That's absolute rookie error for me. No, no, um, that's good. That's, that's, no, that's, that's our question. But for people who are listening, because I can imagine like, I, I think <laughs> it's it's really great context. I know like we've, we've pumped your tires and pumped Tracksuit's tires, but like, what does it actually do? Yeah. So um, essentially, you know, we talk about it as the common language to measure, communicate and understand the value of brand. Uh, which is a lot of buzzwords. Um, and the more easily understood way is that we do tens of thousands of surveys every month of consumers. Um, and we find out what brands those consumers are aware of, what brands they consider buying, uh, what they think and feel about those brands. And you sort of are able to track those metrics over time. So we we do those surveys on behalf of four and a half thousand brands now in New Zealand, Australia, the US, UK, and Canada. Um, and, uh, we just find out what people think and feel about those brands and it helps marketers understand, you know, where their funnel is leaky. Is it leaky above awareness? Is it leaky between awareness and consideration or people that consider their brand not actually buying them? So where do they invest? How do they, how do they help those people become customers? What about early doors? Was, was there any particular industries or people that were drawn to your service early where they're like, fuck yeah, we, we're hanging for this. You know, I think there's this um, like ideal customer profile that we sort of talk about, which is someone who's a marketer who's used brand tracking for a lot of their life. Maybe they worked at Unilever or, you know, a big um, FMCG company, and then they go and they work at a, at a startup or an earlier stage company that doesn't pay for you know large-scale brand tracking and so they're used to using it um they have used it before and you know they say hey all of a sudden i don't have it and i need it and then you offer them this sort of more affordable um dashboarded solution that their stakeholders can buy into and they and they run for that so um that's that's who we sort of talk to with our marketing and our messaging um the verticals that came on board early I think a lot of them were where there were verticals where brand is really important. And if you think about um, fintech or financial services, a lot of those things are a little bit commoditized, like energy commoditized brand is super important. Are you going to go with the pink provider or the green provider or the blue provider? Like that's, that's what people know and feel about those companies. And, and that's where they're competing a lot with brands. So they need to understand um, those metrics most. When we spoke to Gabby Leibovich at the Catch Group, he was talking about above the line marketing. And that's something that we were like, we even with the pod, it's like we can do all the things that everyone's doing, but it's like what are the things that we can do that that, that you can't really track? You just go on sort of, well, you can now well, with what you what do. What benefits does it actually yeah, do? So yeah. we do things like that and like the what is what impact does it actually have if you have higher brand consideration or higher brand awareness or yeah. high levels of trust? Like have you had some positive, I'm sure you have a bunch of positive case studies or examples of people who have shown to be doing that stuff well, how that's impacted their business and how they've continued either to double down or move what they're doing towards more of some of the positive signs? 
Yeah, one of the exercises that's really helpful to think about, you know, we talk about future demand and that being people that aren't ready to buy your products or your services right now and existing demand. And those are people that are ready to buy, you know, generalized often like 95% of people aren't ready to buy right now. And that might be considered future demand and 5% are ready to buy right now. If you think about phones, for example, and if you look at a room of a hundred people and who's going to buy a phone in the next week, you know, maybe a couple people raise their hand. Who's going to buy a phone in the next three years? The whole room will raise their hand. So when you're marketing, you sort of have two jobs to do. You have to market to that 95% who aren't ready to buy right now. You also have to market to that 5% who are ready to buy right now. But there are two very distinct like types of marketing, two very distinct messages. So the 95% you sort of have to make them fall in love with your brand, make them fall in love with your values, who you are. So when they are ready to buy, you are one of the top ones they're considering. For the ones that are ready to buy right now, you got to tell them price. You got to tell them why your camera's, you know, two or three megapixels better than the competitors. You know, why, why they should choose yours over that other one that's in their consideration set. Um, and essentially like people that are doing really good brand marketing and really good full funnel marketing are they're doing a good job of paying attention to that 95%. And because if you tell that 95% your price, they don't care. They're like, well, I'm not going to buy this for two years. So I, I don't need to know your price. It's going to be a different model by then. It's going to be a different everything. What I care about is, you know, how you're going to help me and, you know, be a better father to my children or something that I really care about. And, and so then when I'm ready to purchase, I, I'm automatically bought in. Um, and so that's, that's how it helps brands is, if you're paying attention to the top of funnel, you you make sure that you're within the consideration set of the purchasers who might purchase in two or three years. And therefore, you kind of lock in this future growth and future demand. It's cool because it feels like what you guys do, it takes away the internal bias of what people you feel like people might say about your brand, like you can do from the, the other side of things. But I'm sure there's examples of people who think they're doing well, like me and you'd be guilty. Mm -hmm. We're killing out there. People are like, fuck no one likes you. you know what I mean? Like everyone's saying, we don't really want to see the stats. Everyone's saying, this ain't it. Is that, is oh that no, everybody, everybody loves you guys. Everybody loves you. Is you don't need brand tracking. Getting to be like the Gordon Ramsay. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you get to say, look, I'm so sorry, but maybe this isn't working. The menu's got to change. I think we're all guilty of being in our like echo chambers, right? Like that's, and that's part of the value of this is, you know, you you step out of that for a second and you see what because the echo chamber is yeah like it's you guys it's it's me and matt my co-founder um and our executive team and our board like you know you need to step out of that often and you need to reflect and and um but there's also that even wider group that people talk to their customers they get nps they get like reviews of their customers and they think yeah we're we're killing it everybody loves us, but that's not actually everybody either. Stepping another stage beyond that to the wider consumer group and the like total population um, is even is even better data to get and to understand what people think and feel about you. So yeah, I guess this this sort of helps answer that that furthest away question of what you know anyone interacting with your category thinks and feels about your brand rather than you know yeah just us founders or just the board and and or even just customers. You mentioned before uh, you kicked off, you, you fir your first daughter was on the way. How's life changed since becoming a parent? I've got a two-year-old at home and uh, the idea of like running a startup and making stuff happen and working at a crazy pace, but also like 
juggling life. You know what I mean? Like being a present dad, trying trying to be good at multiple yeah. things or give the energy where it's needed. How have you gone with that? Yeah, I'm still learning to be completely honest. Like I think this year, so I've got a three year old and a one year old now. Two daughters love being a girl dad. Um, so important to me to do that well. Uh, and I think this year I've I've talked a lot about. Um, I just sent a letter out to the whole team actually um, yesterday, just talking about like number one priority is kind of like mental health, physical health, figuring out how to, you know, build a big business, a successful business, but while, while maintaining um, sanity and looking after ourselves is, is paramount. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about figuring that out this year. Last year was a lot of travel. Um, I definitely got pretty close. I call it getting, I got crispy. I was close to burnout at one stage, um, which I didn't like and affected everything, family life and, and work life. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm this year, a lot of non-negotiables, therapy, coaching, exercise. Um, and, and I think that will have downstream benefits with, family and work. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy. Uh, and if you've got any tips, let me know. I feel like it's hard because what works like working hard in that you see results and then you don't want to get off that wheel. Like you just want to keep the momentum hot, but you also want to be present and stuff like that. Like you feel that, don't you? It's like, we've got to keep the wheels in motion. I don't want things to fall off, but how do I dial it back? You I think know? it's very different too with the founder who's like, you bear the responsibilities of like you mentioned before, you've got a board, you've got a, a bunch of staff now that are relying on you to be able to continue to push yeah. the business forward. And it's like, you don't always have, if you're at the front of the line of leading the pack and doing the other things, you don't always have the ability to, hey, I'm going to take, I'm going to call in sick today. You know what I mean? Like that's, it, it comes with different weight of stuff. And I feel like everyone that we've talked to over the pod and the question we'll, we'll push into in a minute is like, what do you turn to to get some energy back? But it's a common trait. We've talked to so many founders now that have either experienced burnout, have been close to burnout, have got to that point. And our like our opinion on this has actually changed over time. Like at the start, we we're very much like, "Hey, you got to do everything you can to look after yourself," and like, "Can't believe you got to burnout point." And all this was like, now it's a bit like, "Well, fuck." If anyone that's ever made anything good, it hasn't come easy, and it's the harsh part of. For us, it's like, hey, now I think one of the questions is sort of more about like, what do you turn to to get some energy back in your life is more like everyone needs to know what that is so that they can get to that point where you get a little bit crispy and then think, well, fuck, I'm going to turn the oven down a little bit. What can I do to pull myself off? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that I try to keep at top of mind is the responsibility to the team. If you're If you are getting close to burnout, they see that everybody knows it. you know, you can't, you can't hide it. And if that's how you're leading your team, you're doing a really bad job as a leader. So it's more important to step back, you know, look after yourself and, and your family so that others feel empowered to do the same. Um, and that's, that's your responsibility as a leader, I think. So, you know, that's, that's the sort of message that I push with the board and that I, the example that we're trying to set Matt and I here um otherwise yeah it's it's bad news for everybody so and that and as someone who sort of naturally would sacrifice themselves that's that's a story that i regularly tell myself in order to ensure that i'm following the rules that i'm setting because it's um i think it's yeah the 
the difference between what I sort of want to do and the example that I need to set, um, you know, the example can win out if I tell that story, which is good. So do you have a certain activity or something that you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'd like have changed my hours. So I work quite early in the morning and then get home for kind of daycare pickup and having those two to three hours in the afternoon gives me um, with my two daughters gives and my wife gives me everything that I sort of need. Like I always, you know, finish the day feeling the happiest I've been all day, which is awesome. Um, and then ocean swims, like no matter the weather, cold, hot, if you, if you're diving into the ocean, I feel like that you kind of the, the walk or drive home from that. You're like, yep, I'm back. This is good. Um, so yeah, those things. It's like a combination of me and you, isn't it? The ocean swims freaked me out a bit, though. Didn't you see the you see the uh, article come out like last week about another person in Sydney got chomped in the bay? Oh. You know, like the swimmers, they're saying, really, like, oh yeah, that's what happened last year with the videos and stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. another one last week though. Oh, yeah, okay, like, hey, just out. out here relaxing, just going for a swim. Boom, gone. Ocean you know? swims are good though because like <laughs> there's, there's current and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean, there's the current. You're dealing with all the different stuff. It's not like a pool, is it? Hey, I'm not throwing it out into <laughs> the universe. I'm not saying that's gonna happen to you. you know? <laughs> Touch wood. Australia is absolutely terrifying. Come come on down to New Zealand. Nothing poisonous, nothing chomping you, no currents, calm, beautiful, hurricane golf, wonderful. Just come on down. Well, golf, you're speaking our language. We've we've been playing a lot lately, and Rob just shot his best game ever yesterday. So he's been he's been on a high lately. But that's something that we've been using as well to like get away from the phones or get away from the laptops because it's just like it's like having a cold shower. It just turns the mind off for a, a second to give it a bit of a breather but we've been loving it lately haven't we yeah playing a bit lately do you so, play a bit you like golf uh i i i don't do golf i i i'd say i call myself a rainy day golfer which is sort of like it's a great thing to do i don't mind golf but when it's really beautiful and sunny i'd probably rather go like surfing if i had four hours to myself you know there's like other sunny things that i would probably do cloudy not, rainy you know maybe you go golfing it's not as high on the list of the hobbies. You know, like with... Well, you've got yeah. the big canoe that you've never unwrapped, have you? It's been in the garage canoe. for two years. I've had the kayak for a while there. The and kayak, that, yeah. It doesn't get as much run as the surfboards <laughs> do. And I feel like it's definitely down the hobby list. So it's like something that, you know, when you look at things in your garage, you're like, oh, I could probably flick that off if someone wanted to buy it. You know, like... <laughs> I feel bad about it. Lucky, hopefully M doesn't listen because that was her present to you. It's a, it's a thoughtful <laughs> present. But anyway, it's not about me. We'd love to get into some of kind of some yeah. of the challenges, you know, like of scaling, like building a team, building the right people around you, uh, raising capital, something we talked about off air too. Like, has there been any moments of like doubt or speed bumps along the way as part of the scale process for Tracksuit? Oh, I think a healthy dose of doubt every day um, keeps you, keeps you, on the level level playing field level level head i don't know whatever i'm trying to say but yeah, yeah there's do. lots of doubt i mean i think having been in startups without product market fit and sort of now being lucky enough to have it you're very grateful for that for that feeling and that that ability to grow when you invest in things it works and you're like holy crap what the heck um, but you're always waiting for that other shoe to drop you're sort of like is that going to keep going? What's happening here? Um, so yeah, we're, we're, I think very grateful, but also like, you know, make hay while the sun shines and, and drive forward. Uh, but also, you know, having a bit of like skepticism and, and just thinking like, okay, how do we protect ourselves here? How do we make sure we're doing this in a way that is reasonable and sustainable? 
Um, and so, yeah, and we really trying to build with like a bootstrap conservative mindset. Um, an example being like when we launch into a new geography, we don't fund it. it has to be self-funding. So you like me and Matt will fly in, um, close a couple of deals in the, in the US, and then we sort of like wait for word of mouth and a few referrals to kick off. And then we'll go in again and try to sell a bit more. And we did that for a year before we reached a point where we felt like, okay, product market fit exists. We've made some adaptations to the product. And then we, and then we sort of funded and we build a team. Um, so being patient, uh, yeah, building in a sustainable way is really important. Fucking. Okay. Hey, well, let's, let's, let's get into a little bit about like, uh, next steps for tracksuit, you know, like mm. you've done all these cool things you mentioned before, like got product Shifting market fit, goals, yeah. doing some stuff in some different markets now. Like, I feel like, is that a cool thing now reflecting back on from where it came from now going, fuck, we can really sort of set our sights on something different here. Like where can we actually take this? Yeah, I think we're, con yeah, we're constantly re, you know, rethinking our targets and goals, like, you know, where we, where we think it can go is, is just, you know, lifting that ambition. Um, we have always focused on, can we build like a, a big, you know, business out of New Zealand and do it in a way where that like, heart is really at the center of it and building a team that's high care first and foremost and high performance follows off the back of that. Um, and so we're still, we're still really focused on that, which sort of ties into that like sustainable growth, um, not doing anything too crazy and, and looking after our people. Um, but yeah, the, the level of ambition sort of moves with the success because if you're building sustainably you don't want to just always think about moonshots you also want to like think about what's happening in a year and two years and, and make sure that you're um paying attention to what's happening in the market and what's happening to the business so yeah we're we're excited about where it's going like we're 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 grateful we're fascinated um and we're excited about uh where tracksuit can go and i think the team is too um and we have been so lucky to hire just incredible folks to join us and help us build this thing. Um, so yeah, we're, we're excited. What about like inspirations, like people who've seen do things in the past where you're like, Oh, I, I like the way they've done that. I want to take a bit of that. Or maybe you've been lucky enough to meet them and the, ask them questions and then help you. Like who have been some inspirations for you that you've really sort of lent on in shaping what you're building now? Maybe two, two like, uh, yeah, that we're talking about a lot at the moment. Um, we talk a lot about being intentional. So like, you know, if we're throwing an event, not throwing an event for an event's sake, like what is the purpose of that? Um, and we've um, all read The Art of Gathering, uh, sort of required reading, which is um, by Priya Parker. And it's about, you know, being intentional, even with little things and, and that sort of being the difference between um, people kind of remembering you or having a great time and, and, and sort of it just being another startup event or whatever. Um, so take a lot of inspiration from Priya Parker and her work. Uh, and then um, I can't remember the author right now, but like unreasonable hospitality. So the, the kind of 30 Madison story, I don't know if you ever read that, but the, the restaurant where, you know, like you provide shocking amounts of value. And if you've seen the bear that show, that's, that's the restaurant that he was trained at and where they did that, like the skit of, 
they overhear the family talking about having not had deep dish pizza and the waiter goes out and buys deep dish pizza and brings it back and they plate it in like a gourmet restaurant style and deliver it to that family for free as like a, hey, you're at this big restaurant, but we went and got some classic deep dish pizza. So that that sort of like level of um, bespoke, thoughtful value is something that we're trying to drive um, for our team, but also for uh, customers and partners. So we're taking a lot of inspiration from those things at the moment. Um, yeah. I love that. Leaving a good impression. It's like how you make people feel, hey, if people think that you've thought about them and you've woke up thinking about their problems or trying to help them in a, in an in advisory or a business sense. Well, like you were feels though, mate, you like to know all their names, their orders, you know, you were the king. Well, it's, it, you have to do that. You have to make people feel good. I think it was an awesome skill for me to learn in terms of like working in startups is like that front of house sort of first interaction with someone who is the customer saying, Hey, I've had a shitty day or I've had this. How do you, how do you navigate that convo? How do you make them turn it around? How do you make them come back again? It's just be like, by listening to them. Sometimes, you know, it's not even really saying anything. They just want to talk to someone and it's not sort of butting in. It's just like, yeah, if they want to vent and stuff, they can they can vent. But I feel like it is the way you make people feel, you know, that high care thing. If if your health and wellness is front of front of my mind, it makes people feel like valued. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's something about like the SAS, the software as a service playbook has been around for a while now. Um, there's a lot of best practice and and I think people are used to it. You get a customer email every quarter you know the sales emails sort of follow the same trajectory everybody's used to that so you got to do something now to to stand out from a you know not only is it more fun to do and more fun to engage with people in that way but it also i think um makes business sense because the the standard playbook is is um a little stale i reckon too like opportunities in problems you know when someone has a bad experience you can actually turn it flip it around and rock their world. You know, like someone who like might be the biggest hater, you actually give them the proper customer service or whatever. You can actually flip them into a supporter, eh? Totally. Yeah. If you do it right. Um, absolutely. It would be, it'd be dumb of us not to ask you, uh, what are some of your favorite brands out there in the market? Whether it's like, does it have to be in any sort of tech category or whatever? Like what brands do you like and what do you think they do well? You know, I, I like, I love watching categories explode. And so like the, the, and I'm sort of experimenting in this space personally. So like that, the alcohol-free category, you know, love seeing um, AF drinks, heaps normal athletic brewing, like seeing what they're doing um, because they're all, the thing that's interesting about a lot of those brands is they're, they're lifting the category simultaneous with their brand. So they like have to create the category. So there's a lot of education. There's a lot of like, interesting content that comes with that. So I, re I really enjoy um, watching those brands expand and, and how they focus. Um, and then, yeah, like there's there's the sort of like liquid death out of the US. I don't know if you've come across them, but- like, We love them, oh, yeah. Just, just unbelievable creativity, um, which I'm floored by. You know, you go, you look on Spotify, they have like, taken all of the negative reviews of liquid death and made rap song rap albums out of the negative reviews. And you're just like, that's so cool. Um, so yeah, that, that sort of stuff. I just, I just love. I think like, I like ones who don't really play it safe, you know, like don't really follow the cookie cutter method kind of like might naively go into something and just do it their way. It can't, that's kind of like the magic sometimes I feel like. 
Well, Brent, you got to stand for something. So. Yeah, just do your thing. Bit of there's, there's a lot thing. of vanilla out there. You mentioned before the playbook. I feel like there's a, our perception mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff is to people think a bit the same with brand. You know, like I feel like there's so many startups now if we think back from a startup lens, which when you mentioned play it safe, I think the thing that we get frustrated in is like there's a lot of people out there, whether from a capital raising point of view or they get the opportunity to make something happen and then everything just looks exactly the same, feels the same, talks the same they sell on different things, but it's just the fucking same thing out there. And you're like, why does this, why does this even exist? Like, like it's so, it's so hard to make people care about things. I think people think it's like, if you go back to the thing you said earlier about like put a dollar in the slot machine, and get 85 cents back now, like you have to be thinking differently about how do you make noise and stand out? Is that something you think as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you do just have to, that is what, brand is in my opinion it's just standing for something and helping people understand what that is um and you gotta you gotta make those bets you gotta you gotta have and it's being really honest as well like a lot of people will come out with their kind of like set of values and say what their brand is and and maybe it doesn't end up being true because they when they did that exercise they weren't being honest with themselves about what was coming out and what was coming through. So, um, you know, if you're a playful person and you're starting a business, you should probably have quite a playful brand because it's going to come out in the long run. Um, if you're intense, then you should probably have an intense brand because it's going to come out in the long run. And if you try to be playful when you're intense, people are going to see through that and they're going to be like, I don't know what this brand stands for because he's <laughs> yelling or she or she's yelling and, and they're showing me this like, pretty kind of playful thing that doesn't match up. So um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of honesty in there as well. That's why you scare people off. Mate. You know? <laughs> Lean into yourself, you know, lean into yourself. I will kind of thank you so much for spending some time with us today, man. It's been un- right. unreal to, to, to pick your brain. I feel like so many people who listen to this episode are going to take so much gold nuggets away. Yeah, yeah. That we hadn't said for a while, gold nuggets, <laughs> but mate, love it. Love watching your journey, tracksuit's journey. And again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Hey, congrats, guys, on all the success. You're doing amazing, and, and thanks for everything that you do. Um, appreciate it. So thanks for making time for me, and uh, look forward to chatting again. I like Connor. I like him a lot. I like his temperament. He's even killed. He's chilled. Kiwis just do it way better, don't they? He can have a joke, and he can also get serious on us, which is that's, that's, the, whole, that's the whole deal with funny we're, business. We're a little funny bit of business. funny, a little bit of business, but that felt like there was a good mix. That was the perfect episode. If we were to get, if we were to show a random stranger an alien, what is funny business? We want to have a little, have a laugh, but still also learn. Listen to this episode with Connor Archbold from Tracksuit because this is the perfect funny business episode. It's balanced perfectly. Hey, well, if you're new here or you've been around for a while and you like what you're listening to, send it to someone else. It goes a long way to help grow our show. You know, we're talking about building funnels and marketing funnels and all sorts of good stuff here. Well, for us to build a bit of brand consideration and brand awareness, it. It relies on you guys hitting that share button. You are the funnel.